In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Today, you will be with me in paradise. With these words, Jesus concludes his earthly ministry, condemned, crucified, and slowly dying, the one who has healed so many, who has comforted the crowd, who has reconciled the sinner, offers one last time redemption to another outcast. Even in the midst of his own death, Jesus still has grace to give. And in using this one simple word, today, the author of the Gospel of Luke provides a bookend of sorts for this same word, today, which Jesus utters now at the end of his life, is the same one that Jesus uses when proclaiming the very beginning of his ministry way back in chapter 4 of the Gospel of Luke. After being baptized and tempted by Satan, Jesus enters into the synagogue in Nazareth and reads from the scroll of Isaiah and then says to the gathered community today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today, we are gathered here to mark the feast of Christ the King, a feast that is actually rather new from the perspective of our ancient church. It was instituted less than 100 years ago in 1925 by Pope Pius XI of the Roman Catholic Church, and it was established in response to the uncertainty and fear of that time. It's important to remember that the 1920s, especially for Europeans, was a decade being lived against the backdrop of the trauma and the destruction of the First World War, which had an indelible impact on the continent and indeed the whole world. Millions had died. Long-standing empires had fallen, and new ideological movements were now on the rise, movements which promised to transform the world, communism in Russia, fascism in Italy, and secularism all over the globe. And so in response to this suffering and political instability and profound uncertainty about the future, the Feast of Christ the King was meant to comfort Christians that no matter where we live, no matter who rules our countries, it is Christ who is the ultimate sovereign, that God remains the unchanging, omnipotent ruler of the world. To be honest with you, I sometimes struggle with this idea of Christ being king. Conceptually, I get it. God being the true authority over all things. But practically speaking, I wonder if by calling Jesus king, we're actually in a way cheapening the good news. Because our human model of kingship is so deeply flawed. As we know today, as they knew in the 1920s, every king, every queen, Every political leader is imperfect, has made mistakes, has committed crimes. And by extension, every kingdom, every empire, every state is also flawed, also propped up by its own injustices. 
If all we're doing when we say Christ is king is cutting out Jesus' face and transposing it on some human leader, whether it be Napoleon or Elizabeth or Biden, is that really a king worth honoring? In 1928, three years after the very first Christ the King, a young theologian and aspiring pastor was giving a lecture on the essence of Christianity. And he had this to say about Jesus' kingship, quote, a king who dies on the cross must be the king of a rather strange kingdom. Only those who understand the profound paradox of the cross can also understand the whole meaning of Jesus' assertion, my kingdom is not from this world. The young man who who penned these words was Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German theologian and Lutheran pastor who is perhaps best remembered for his deeds much later in his life, when he publicly and fiercely resisted Nazism, leading to his arrest and finally to his execution. But back in 1928, that future was unimaginable for this 22-year-old who was simply doing his best to teach his students. What Bonhoeffer has reminded me is that any discussion of Christ's kingship or kingdom must begin and end with the cross. First of all, because it is on the cross that Jesus rejects human models of kingship. It's important to remember that when Jesus enters Jerusalem, what all of his followers expect him to do as the Messiah is to conquer it, like David, king of old, or like Caesar. But against all expectation, Jesus instead goes to the cross and dies. An outcome so unimaginable, so grotesque, so out of sync with the idea of earthly power that it's simply laughable that Jesus' royal title, the King of the Jews, becomes nothing more than a twisted joke. Which brings us to Bonhoeffer's second point, that the cross is an utter paradox. God is immortal, yet God dies. God is all-powerful, yet God becomes weak. God is blameless, yet takes on the sin of the whole world. And in one last contradictory twist, Jesus dies flanked by two condemned criminals, showing once again how the God of all goodness over his life and now in his death has chosen the company of the lowly over the blessing of the worthy. A strange king indeed, who, as Bonhoeffer puts it, commits himself to the villains instead of to the righteous. And it is only then in in the paradox of the cross that we can begin to even glimpse what it really means for Christ to be king, what it really means to live in Christ's kingdom. It means that the all-powerful, almighty creator of the universe who could extinguish all of this in the blink of of an eye, instead will love it to the very end. It means that from the depths of our human experience, despair, violence, and indeed death itself, that this becomes the very ground from which God does his reconciling work. It means God's identification with the lowly and the outcast, so much so that Jesus subverts any kind of human common sense or even ethics 
For in Jesus' kingdom, it's the last who will be first. The one lost sheep matters more than the 99, and the prodigal son is the one who gets a feast. It means that a criminal condemned to die, who by all earthly calculation deserves to die, is not lost, but instead receives the reassurance, today you will be with me in paradise. Recently, I've been trying to learn more about the early decades of the 20th century, particularly the 20s and 30s. And I'm doing this because I fear that not unlike the 1920s, the 2020s could be another decade where the world slides ever closer to global conflict and violence. War has returned to Europe. Democracy is declining worldwide. Ideologies, some old, some new, are competing competing fiercely for the hearts and the mind of humankind. And something I've learned about the ideologies that dominated the 20th century is that part of what made them so compelling was that at their core, they were simple. And there is something really satisfying about a simple, straightforward story. Because when it's a simple story, we don't really need to do anything. Or maybe we just need to do one thing. For communism, it was this idea that history was just on this course. We have capitalism, then class conflict, then communism, and then utopia. For fascism, it was the idea that we just needed to purify the race, get everybody who wasn't us out, and then everything would be fine. Here in this country, We have our own simple stories, like the one that freedom and capitalism just sort of go hand in hand. A simple story that overlooks the injustice that continues in this country, never mind the ways in which foreign despots have been very glad to grow wealthy over global capitalism while continuing to subjugate their own people. And today, as tyranny is on the rise, we see the return of maybe the simplest of stories, a story that Caesar spun, and that now Putin and Khamenei and Maduro all tell in their own way, but it's all the same story, and that's that might makes right. In contrast to these simple stories, Jesus instead gives us the paradox of the cross. In the place of deceitful certainty, Jesus instead invites us to struggle, to pick up our own cross and follow him. Instead of grand theories that make individuals into no more than cogs in the machine of history, the king of the universe instead calls out to us, forgives us even when we condemn him, and welcomes us into paradise. I pray that my anxieties about the future are misplaced. And I certainly hope for all of us here that none of us are fated for martyrdom. Even still, I have to imagine that for the martyrs of the 20th century, Bonhoeffer and Oscar Romeo and Dr. King, that the prospect of a violent death seemed just as unlikely to them earlier on in their lives as it does to us today. It would be wise for us to learn from their saintly examples, and especially to ask ourselves what fruits fed their faith early in life, and how did this help provide them with the foundation that was needed to weather the storms in the twilight of their time on earth? 
And for Bonhoeffer, what I see over and again in his early writings is his emphasis on one last paradox of the cross. That is, in the cross, we see how the kingdom of God is not yet here and also already here. How the powers of sin still oppress the world, but God's grace is at work nonetheless. How we continue to await the second advent of Christ, and yet, as Jesus tells us earlier in Luke, the kingdom of God is already among us. It is this immediacy of the kingdom that Bonhoeffer invites his students into, that every day Jesus is calling us to an uncompromising decision to once again follow him, to repent, and to love, and to sacrifice, and to serve, to step forward in faith knowing, quote, God will enter into our time, living with us, for us, even unto death, taking the path to human beings all the way to the cross. Today, we call Christ king. Today, we live in his kingdom. Today, today, today. The Chapel of the Cross is an Episcopal church in the heart of Chapel Hill and the university community. Find out more at thechapelofthecross.org. There you can find our latest news and events, connect with our pastoral care team, Faith in Action Ministries, and offer a prayer request. You can also find us on social media, on Instagram at thechapelofthecross, and on Facebook and Twitter at C-O-T-C, Chapel Hill. May you be nourished by the word to serve in the world.